Welcome to the bridge. My name is Brandon, and I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Zach. Uh, and we have another album this week. Uh, quite one that I think we're both interested in and super excited to get talking a bit. But before we do, uh, what are you drinking today, Zach? No beer this week. Sticking to the green tea. The weather's warming up over here, so sort of on a bit of a health kick after yeah. the winter blues. I'm... Uh... I'm back on the Americana, so that's my my diet version lattes. Okay, yeah, diet version lattes. And replace the milk with water, and then we, there we go. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I I always go for black coffee. You can't go wrong with black coffee. Yeah, I can't really. the bitterness just wakes you up in the morning, and when you dilute it with creamy milk, mm-hmm. well, that's yeah. not black then. It's just milk in it. Yeah, it's it's more like milk with coffee rather than coffee. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, this week we're covering uh, the album for the first time by Black Country New Road, a British band. Um, going into this, I had kind of heard the rumblings of this uh, this album. It was kind of getting good reviews, I think. Uh, and I kept on hearing bands and similarities that I was a big fan of. So I kind of got. Uh, my nose turned towards this album uh, kind of early, but I hadn't really stuck my uh, my fingers into the band or any of the singles they released until until this album. What similarities did you hear about? I heard a bit Slint mostly uh, was the big comparison and Black Midi. Um, and you're you're a big Slint fan, yeah? Yeah, one of my uh, I guess I would say my favorite album, if not up there on that that echelon, is Spiderland. Uh, which is a Slint album from in the 90s. Uh, huge fan of that. Definitely up my alley. It's kind of like a, a math, a mathy kind of alternative rock that kind of uh, s- like slips into post-hardcore a little bit. Yeah, it's really syncopated and angular, like the weird timing and kind of discordant sounds. Yeah, a lot of dissonance here uh, that they'll play yeah. with. Kind of like... Uh, Reminiscence of some noise rock from the same some era. Uh, so going into this, I was kind of expecting something to that degree. I, I guess I wasn't that far off. I was expecting like a math rock kind of album. And I think that this kind of fits into that pocket, but it is m- more than kind of what I was expecting. They weren't super glued to those comparisons as I thought they might have been. Uh, and some people have critiqued them for being, but uh, I kind of disagree. Um, but we'll get into that as well. Yeah, really. They've been criticized for being too uh, degenerate of a band's like Slint. And yeah, too derivative, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the word. Thank you. Um, yeah, too derivative of Black Midi and Slint. And, and they kind of got that cr- uh, critique. Uh, but I would argue that they're different. Uh, even though there's definitely like uh, inspiration and even name drops in this album to both those bands. Yeah, I never dug super deep into the lyrics, but I did did uh, pick up on the Black Mini Illusion. Yeah, so the band is a seven-piece collective. Right. And I think part of what makes their sound unique is that they are an ensemble of classically trained jazz musicians and then just people who are self-taught autodidacts. And so the combination of the classically trained jazz musicians and then the sort of post-punk influenced uh, autodidact self-taught musicians makes for a really yeah compelling combination. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, three women and four guys. Uh, this is also their debut album. Uh, so the British band, uh, Black Country, obviously is a part of the British Midlands. Um, but another thing a little more uh, prevalent is they were in a band before this as a, as a seven-piece. A seven uh, but I believe the lead singer got in trouble for sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, something along that. I didn't really dive into it. So they left the band. The band kind of is left behind. And they pick up uh, Luke Mark, 
who is the guitarist uh, on the album. And this is kind of the album that came came out of it. Yeah, they developed their sound in all the songs just performing live. And I think Black Midi sort of took them under under their wing a bit and helped share their platform, get them gigs and uh, give them advice and so on. And so... Uh, by the way, did you have, happen to look up what these guys look like? No, no, why? Because they look like they're straight out of like an 80s boy band or an episode of Saved by the Bell. Uh, there's some promotional pictures there on uh, on Google that I was seeing, and I was like, "This is not what I thought these guys looked like." Uh, they're a little hi- they're a little hipster, I guess. Say, uh, they're hipster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, they're they're young twenty somethings living in the southern UK. Yeah, I guess what do I expect, right? Yeah. Um, all right, but let's get into the album a little bit, I guess. Um, unless there's anything else you wanted to comment on uh, on the band. No, that's it. So, uh, the opening is called a uh, very tongue-in-cheek instrumental, and it's a banger. Um, I love the drums. Uh, opening up this album, uh, it's like hot fire, uh, like setting uh, in for us the circular rhythm, uh, joint uh, eventually with a synth and with the, the polyrhythms. Uh, give this like vaguely like African or Middle Eastern kind of inspiration. I think going on. Uh, this beginning track, it's like it it it, it kind of sets this precedent for what is going to happen a lot on this album, which is a lot of build and crescendo song structures. Yeah, this one doesn't have as much open space as what occurs on the later tracks, right? But it certainly follows this oscillating sound structure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once the guitar comes in on this, it's very math, uh, math rock. It doesn't control the song, uh, the the guitar, but because it doesn't really get a chance to, because uh, eventually, like all the members of the band are like it, it's slowly adding like on top of this on top of this musical swirling rhythm, uh, with the sax comes in, uh, occasional drum fills just using the top hats and and keeping the snare rhythm going. Uh, I thought the the this was immediate sign to me that. The drummer on this album was uh, is fantastic, uh, imme- immediately skillful and uh, technical right outside the uh, right of the gate. Yeah, he's super technical. He's keeping everybody's time. Like you can, t- as soon as uh, there's a change in the drum line, another instrument is introduced into the song. Yeah, I love this opening. Uh, it, it felt like you're like moshing and shoving your way through like this light show uh, that's making you disorientated and confused but you're hyped up on adrenaline at the same time it's just like this no wave sax that is prevalent through this album as well uh which is another one of the big inspirations i see on the album is a uh, that new york no wave uh scene uh this just felt like a love letter to that at, at points in the song and even on this album so far oh first track in you got math rock we got alternative rock you got like this post-punk vibe. You got this post-rock vibe, and this in this like no-wave saxophone kind of solo stuff going on, which is like hitting every one of my loves uh, when it comes to music. This is like it's perfect uh, branding music. I, I couldn't help but uh, get drawn to this when when picking the albums for this week. There are some other albums that uh, we've decided that we're going to talk about on a, a few other date. Uh, that was super interesting to me, but I just knew that I had to come back to this because I had listened to this opening track, this instrumental, and uh, I was blown away by it. And uh, I, I was like, All right, I got to listen to this album. I got to go get the full treatment and the full review because I was super excited. I like how, yeah, each of the instruments has their own moment in the sun, and they <laughs> use it during those sort of breakdown moments when the crescendo dips down and everything fades fade out mm-hmm. but then there'll there'll be one instrument that'll hold a rhythm how did you uh, how did you feel about the saxophone on this album yeah it was amazing how the uh, the sax player is able to be groovy and then 
for instance, in this song, after the first crescendo dies down, he holds the notes really long and uh, bl- um, blows them really hard, and it creates this dissonant sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has a great range of sounds that he's able to make with the with the saxophone. Right, I like uh, the type of saxophone playing here and how it's incorporated into the music. Uh, again, is so uh, no wave to me that it's like jumping off the page of like how uh, how inspired they they obviously are by that that scene by like Lydia Lunch and James Chance by uh, James Chance and Lydia Lunch is like that that kind of like placement in the song and the energy that the sax can give in in this kind of like punk atmosphere uh, is really fun and. Uh, really uh, kind of visceral at, at other times and sinister at other times and, and groovy in other times. Yeah, like uh, a job you would expect would be delegated to a guitar. Like, okay, create a bunch of distortion and hold the notes really long in this section. They give to the saxophone instead, but then sometimes the guitar will play that role and it, this back and forth between the different instruments, especially the saxophone and uh, and the guitar, I find is ve- is very compelling. Right, right. I think and the... it, it highlights the combination of jazz and post punk that is definitive of their sound. Right, and right. It's not der- derivative at all, in my opinion. It's their own spin on what is an estab to establish genres. I think. Uh... They go on to prove that of themselves uh, in some of the other tracks as well. So, so Athens, France is the, is the single that was released first and that caught a lot of people's attentions to the band. This is one of the reasons maybe that they get that critique because the guitar work on this song is practically identical to something that you would hear on a Slint album. Yeah, um, it's, it's the song that reminds me of Spiderland the most. Right, the it's mostly the guitar because it's very uh, slint guitar passages that are, that are going on here, and you get that kind of like similar vocal delivery, kind of like spoken uh, with these like guitar refrains and the math nature to it all. It's very it's very slint in the space it kind of holds, but uh, I also noticed that the song incorporates like the the violin and piano as it goes like almost like the piano synths like a keyboard and it really starts to pull away from that sound and and kind of become something else so this song musically to me almost felt like a it starts as like a a pretty standard kind of slint song and evolves into something that's their own sound and i think that there was their uh, an intentional narrative in this song to kind of curtail some of that critique i think yeah i think what starts out as a spiderland inspired song becomes something something else some becomes something that belongs to the band themselves by the time you get to the end of the record or by the end of, to the end of the song sorry and i think that it's a testament to how well the band is able to conclude songs. I find the conclusions to all the songs to be pretty interesting. And here on this song, perhaps more than any other song, there's a lot of open space and it's it, it's not very rhythmic. It's quite angular. The lyricist is filling in a lot of the empty room. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he's—it's almost uh, his delivery is like spoken poetry. Almost, he right. does have a very wide range. Yeah, it's it's, it's almost like he's reciting poetry, and then he gets kind of his performance in doing so uh, escalates or becomes more manic uh, in certain aspects of the song, and he'll he'll portray emotions in, in that kind of way or melodrama in that way. But he's not really singing. Uh, t- traditionally on this song uh, or on this album, no, and he does have a good tremble to his voice, which adds some emotion. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to we'll get to his singing voice and uh, what we make of it a little bit later when we talk about some of the other tracks. But to go back to what I was saying about the conclusion, when we when we get to the end of this song, there's actually 
sort of beautiful, glittering, rhythmic guitar guitar riff that plays for over a minute. And Mm -hmm. it's a great contrast or just it really stands out because of all the discordant um, anti-rhythmic sounds that play throughout the song and all the sort of not dead air, but open space. space. Yeah. Right. So I actually really enjoy the song. I, I like the atmosphere and the tone it gives off and the kind of manic nature that his delivery gives to it. I should note at this point that this version on the album is not the original version that was released uh, on EP back in 2019. Um, there's a few changes to it, uh, most notably some lyrics and this ending that you mentioned is different. Yeah. Uh, the ending in the original version is a lot more drum focused and erratic in that drum nature. And it, whereas in the new version, it's a little more uh, toneful and moody. Um, but I was kind of curious. I don't know why they changed it. Uh, Cause in my opinion, the original is better. Uh, I disagree because especially when you consider the, the next song, how the next song begins with this really our guitar, guitar distortion. Such a such a great contrast with the conclusion of the previous song. Sure, uh, I was a huge fan of like the drum work that they did do on the original version, but also the lyrics were weird. He almost censors himself. You know, he kind of like completely takes out this subsection of of lyrics in the song and replaces them with good lyrics, but like replaces the swearing and the crassness of talking about fucking a, a girl in her in her childhood uh, bed. And he, he like kind of removes all that. And it feels like there was like this weird PGifying of the song that kind of came off a little odd to me. I don't know why it was done. Did you read the lyrics for track X? Uh, I did glance through the lyrics for track X. Yes. Because the lyrics for that song refer to some childhood romance in a girl's bedroom. Right, and maybe I'm thinking of the lyrics from the wrong song. Um, uh, or maybe he switched them around, that's what I was thinking. So he, he changes the beginning of the song and like kind of takes out a subplot of it. So the original lyrics write, uh, she flies to, to Paris, France. I come down to her childhood bed. She tries to fuck me. I pretend that I'm asleep instead. She loves pop culture. Just thank you next, stuck in her head. The cursed vultures give me sourdough, my daily bread. And he changes it to she flies to Paris, France. I come down to in her childhood bed and write the words one day I wish that I had never said. Now all that I become must die before the forum thread. The cursed vultures feed and spread the seeded daily bread. And it's like, they're both, like the second one is like lyrically dense and, and still compelling. But it just felt like a weird PGifying of the song that feels odd to me uh, and like restructuring i'd like to know why this song was structured the way it was yeah i mean i don't know maybe he was just trying to work on his lyricism because if i have one critique about the album is this lyricism is not terribly uh, not terribly so- sophisticated no it's not uh terribly sophisticated no um it's kind of direct in parts but he's also like pretty Interesting in other parts, too. I don't think he's a bad writer. Um, no, no, it's not bad. Uh, lyrics uh, consist of, you know, sex, drugs, typical shit that you'd expect 20-year-olds to write about. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, it feels like there's a little bit more going on in some of these other tracks uh, uh, with, like, Science Fair. And, uh, yeah, maybe he's working on uh, his writing. I don't think his writing is too bad. Uh, there's some variety in some of the other songs. I don't think it's too, too this is not, teenager stuff. Yeah, it's not an album I'm going to for the lyrics. The musicianship is so great on this record that I'm not paying attention to the lyrics that much anyways. You're right. You're 100% right. I wasn't paying attention too much to the lyrics either. Uh, a lot of my joy came from the instrumentals on this album and his vocal performance and the song structures. I think that's the what many re- person would really come to this for. I think the lyrics are kind of 
to the side. I don't think they're bad or anything or deserve being dismissed per se, but they're not the the highlight here. No, but they don't they don't need to be, you know, because it's not a band that centers around the vocalist and lyricism. It's a band that is really anchored in strong technical musicians, especially this drummer. I don't know, man, he can play. And Absolutely. then the combination of just the combination of elements they have as a seven piece band and how they're able to create compelling sequences and movements and how yeah it oscillates and yeah it's just it's a it's a if you if you like jazz music but then if you also like post-punk and noise rock you'll like this album it absolutely bridges those two worlds of music together right i find that they are able to uh, compose such gripping instrumentals that i think are perfectly paced uh, in fact, I think this album's one of his greatest compliments I can give it is how well-paced I think this album is. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, the next song, Science Fair. Um, first time I listened to this, I got immediate slint. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the first time I listened to the song, I actually got a weird like slint. I know, obviously, slint's going to come up a few times here because of the comparison is thick. And even in the song, they name-dropped the band themselves. Uh, in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way. Uh, but this song, kind of like, as it's talking about uh, a science fair and meeting this girl and talking to this girl, I get real uh, breadcrumb trail vibes in terms of, like, the lyrics here and kind of the tone. Um, so I was a little like, I think they're doing that on purpose, especially with how the lyrics go to references and references and references that they drop in, even calling themselves... Uh, the second best uh, Slint tribute band. So I was like, okay, I kind of wish they didn't do that though. Um, I kind of wish they just kind of left the topic alone. That I don't think they needed to do that little tongue in cheek eternalization of like this critique. I think it was better off just ignore it and just do your thing and, and write your music and be who you are and not give any attention to it, honestly. But minor complaint, they can do kind of whatever they want. Because the song uh, evolves and is very different from Slint, and I think they prove it. The noise rock opening of this with the reverb and the wailing and the dissonant guitar opens this track, and, I, I'm, and I'm in love with that. So great with the, the noise rock influences. Uh, once they, the vocals... Go ahead. They also uh, use the violin on this track. I like the use of the violin on this track. It really helps add tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a step beyond what Slint, what Slint did, you know? Right. I think the tension that's built on the song is is one of its strengths as well, because I noted uh, when the vocals come in after the opener, uh, you, you find yourself in a very jittery and, and paranoid drum uh, rhythm that kind of vaguely sounds like a panicked heart rate. Uh, and then, like, the singer is going on this manic diatribe as this is happening. Uh, and it was just like really compelling to listen to. It was like so hard to like not pay attention to the music when uh, these interesting ideas are coming at you and these interesting sounds and these downtrodden kind of like guitar passages and this like kind of melodramatic kind of vocal delivery, kind of like r- ripping up this like manic uh, person. Uh, I was really, I found it super compelling. And then, all that said, at the end of this song, there's this groovy bass line. It doesn't last for long, but uh, it's pretty groovy. And the bass is... The band doesn't rely so much on the bass. They have the drummer really hold the time and really help hold the, hold the rhythm. Right, but, that, that, that bass, like, kind of like a passage at the end was like super kind of like... It almost sounded a little synthy. I don't know if it was a a synth or not um, that was going on at the end there, but I also enjoyed it. It, it kind of felt a little 
different and fresh when it came on because they hadn't really played with anything quite like that at, up until that point. No, and the the song is one of the more harsh sounding songs on the record. And so, but they, I don't know, they just understand there's a sort of, the way they are able to incorporate so many different tones into one song uh, creates a great, the songs have a really great cadence, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just really enjoy the uh, the manic and nervous energy they properly build. They're like master crafts are like building these these songs and having these uh, several peaks throughout like usually like a roller coaster this is another uh, great example of this song how it will it'll peaks early and then kind of goes into that that groovy rhythm and then peaks again with the the strings at the end and it all throughout has this kind of like building manic nature that I, I i find super compelling and so what did you make of the next song sunglasses Sunglasses is another song that actually changed from the original, but I didn't look uh, listen to the original and kind of like let it be. Musically, I'm super a uh, big fan of the heavy effects and the pedal and guitar work that are kind of shoegazy on this track, or at least in the beginning there. Uh, the song develops, and we get a lot of like cleaner, plucked melodies, and it's kind of like a really slow burn song. I believe this is like the longest song, maybe eight minutes. Yeah. yeah, sunglasses is almost ten minutes. Yeah, nine right. minutes. The the highlight of the song to me, and I want to kind of like put a little attention on it, is the refrain on this track, um, where the music builds and swells and peaks in the first verse, and it feels scrambled and disorganized, and with amazing sax work that is definitely like no way, as I said, uh, influenced. It's very dissonant. Uh, it brings the the song to like early peaks as it's building the song. The second part of the song has this pulse. It's because it's kind of like a two part song. I kind of as two parts. Cause there's a kind of like a clear separation in the middle. Uh, so the second part kind of has this pulsating drum beat that just rebuilds to another fantastic sax sputtering out in this bass and drum line. And it fits super well. They broadens themselves like doing this, like no weight stuff with the sax and like bring in the violin. I think it does so much to like separate them from their peers and their contemporaries like black mini and slint and these comparisons. Like, yeah, while I, I can hear these like influences on the sleeve and I can, I tell that they're in that same kind of genre. Uh, it's the sax work, I think primarily and the violin work that really brings it a different soundscape within that, uh, that pocket. Well, it makes them so much more diverse. They have they have so much more versatility, simply because they are able to use those two instrument instruments, and those instruments work so well within the post punk, math rock, noise rock. Those intersecting genres, and they're sort of the first ones to say, "Hey, guys." Uh, you know, look at this. Bring in the sax. Bring in, bring in a really talented drummer. Bring in the violin, and you can cr- create incredible layers of sound. Absolutely. And the uh, end of this, uh, the end of this song, ha- gets super chaotic, and everyone's essentially playing in in, in different time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, but they are then somehow able to bring it all back together. So then everyone's playing uh, harmoniously just towards the end. Uh, mm-hmm. Incredibly skillful. Absolutely. I, I think, I don't think anybody can go into this album and leave disappointed with the craftsmanship of the instrumentals on this album. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And the way they sequence the songs, like you mentioned earlier, the song almost has two halves. It's like it has a there's a f- first movement, and then there's this very no wavy dissonant sax section when mm-hmm. everything fades out, and then the drums kick in, and it's almost it almost begins this second movement of the song. Right, and right. It's really noisy, and 
in, in that section. And then they always, I find they always mark the endings of the songs. And that's to me is part of the, the band's jazz training. A lot of jazz, all jazz songs have very, like they, they mark the endings, you know? And I find the technical, they have a sort of technical approach to how they compose the songs mm -hmm. that is perhaps maybe a little bit lost on their peers, but it yeah. just it makes the songs so good to listen to. Um, I was talking about uh, the pacing of the album a little earlier. So uh, I think this next track, track X, is a perfect example of a perfectly placed song. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This uh, this song comes in between two behemoths, two long behemoth tracks, and is completely different from everything else on the album. Uh, it's got this like uh, little tune uh, with this driving guitar that's kind of like melancholy actually, and, and it goes into this mood range that the album really hadn't uh, experimented with it up until this point. It's a little more. Almost at points where, because it brings in like a female vocalist as well, and with the swelling horns, I had a, a little taste of a Souf Jam on this, on this track actually. Yeah, Souf Jam. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that, but uh, maybe uh, like Souf Jam, you know, as a evil brother, but he, he's kind of in that realm, you know. I think with the being able to, like they use the brass and like the the harmony and the the female backing vocals. I, I heard a I thought it was a little. Uh, similar. It certainly is a song that has has harmony because of the melancholy, almost emo guitar rift, I would say. Mm -hmm. And uh, the saxophone, too, is very tender and it's almost a little bit dreamy and bright. And the backup vocals on top on top of that creates yeah a nice sense of unity in the song it sounds very harmonious it's a little like, opium shot just it sort of eases you relaxes you before uh it prepares you is what it does right. for uh, for the opus which is the concluding track um i also noted that this track was so measured uh where all the other tracks on the album, like they build and kind of hit these climatic points. This song stays measured throughout. It's like a stable heartbeat and it just keeps its pace and it doesn't suffer from it or anything like that. It just it ex exists in this different song structure area that I thought was very intentional. It just kind of like felt like a palate cleanser, you know? I wouldn't have pointed this song out as a favorite of mine. Uh, in a vacuum, but in terms of mechanics and uh, of how to put an album together, I think this this song is is uh, the cornerstone of the the second half of the album. Yeah, it's I would say the most accessible track on the on the record too. However, perhaps the biggest anomaly. But going back to what I've said a couple on previous episodes of the podcast, this track loses some of its power even though it's a great song when you take it outside of the context of the album mm -hmm. yeah this is a this is a song that like really exists as uh, a part of the album as a whole it's not one of those mm -hmm. songs i think that you could really take out as a deep cut and like kind of showcase the band i think it's really like it, it's holding up uh, a part of the album on its back you know and it's, it does a great job kind of like mechanically as a song, even though it's still enjoyable, you know, I don't want to undersell what it's doing in terms of actual song, but in terms of like pacing, I thought this was really great, uh, completely different, right? It gave us a different palette, uh, a little more melancholy and upper than some of the other ones. Uh, not quite happy, you know, it's kind of in that somber range. Um, it just kind of gives us a little bit of a palate cleanser before we go into into Opus. Hold on. Uh... Oh, yes. I also like the way this song ends again. The saxophone is sort of is leading, but then it 
passes off to the the keyboard and lets the keyboard take ownership of the ending as the song fades out and yeah it gives it this shoegazy type of feel and again yeah very distinct track on the record perfectly placed and in in the band's future recordings i'd be interested to hear maybe another song like this maybe they have two two songs like this on on the record you know if they do a, a longer record or yeah whatever they do I'd, I'd be interested to hear more of this sound from the band as well absolutely it shows their diversity really does yeah that's how why i really think it's unfair uh people who do critique them as being too derivative i, I think that's someone who hasn't really listened to the album because i think this is obviously takes those slint guitar passages i think that's the biggest culprit for this comparison um but the rest of it i think it's its own beast for sure it is slint inspired but i would also there's also some cool guitar guitar riffs on this record too that are the band's own and gets exactly. away from slint sound like it gets away from the math rock sound right um so o o o Opus is another one of those build songs, and it's great. It's, it does a good job of it. They, they got an amazing skill of it. Uh, they have this, like, Arabian flair on the sax in the song. I don't know how else to describe it. You know what I mean? Uh, it's Arabian got this flair on the sax. Yeah, it's like, it's got this, like, almost like Middle, Middle Eastern kind of rhythm to it, a melody to it. If I'd call it Arabian, it's definitely got a groove, though. Like I said, that it made it gave me a bop. Like when I was listening to it, I was bopping along to the song. Right. It's it's got a lot of energy to it, and it kind of feels inspired. Uh, I really enjoyed the the work of the sax on this. It, it, it's like, actually I, like a crucial part of how the song builds as well, because they come back to it in the later half. I really like the introduction to this song. They're playing these really um, fast and snapping guitar chords, and then the drummer's just hitting the hi-hat, and they do that for the first minute, and it just builds this tension like, oh, yeah, this is the concluding track. You know, you've made it. You're here. Here it comes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. There's a – I want to take a special note to, of the build in the outro uh, of the song. Uh, the tones on the guitar, they really incite this feeling of rising tension in the way that they're kind of put together. Uh, like the final hit on that note is like almost not concluding. So it's like it keeps like playing over and over and giving you this feeling like something more. And like after a few seconds of that, like the drum will come in like boom, boom, boom. And just like kind of take the, uh, a burst of energy before it goes back and kind of like rebuilds itself up again. But like, keeps doing it does like two or three times before it like hits this increasing uh, crescendo there in the atro uh, everything's like coming to an head uh, to a head and isaac grows increasingly manic in his performance uh and then that's when they finally bring back those those horns and combine it with the, the the new rhythm that they've been working with in this build and it's like such a great beautiful music moment and like it's such a highlight on the record for me yeah, the build towards the end on this song reminded me a lot of the of the chaotic build on Science Fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very angular. Everyone's playing almost in different in different time. To go back to the first half of the song, the the saxophone player is really really the star on the on the on the first half after that introdu introduction with the guitar and the hi-hat then the sax just sort of takes over like it comes in with a vengeance right absolutely i, I honestly want to say the sax player is the mvp on the whole album that's, uh, that's kind of how i feel about these sax i could certainly agree with that he definitely kills it everyone kills it the drummer does a, a, a great job when i yeah. listen to First track instrumental. I thought the drummer was going to be the right. star of the set tet, 
but no, man, it's it's the sax player for sure. The drum, def- like they all do their job, and they all have these moments of like real highlights. Uh, but the the way that the saxophone is incorporated in the album as a whole, I think, is such does so much more for the palette uh, of the of the band and the music that they're composing. Uh, but yeah, I find that that does so much more for the band to stand out. the The drums are amazing, absolutely, and at this point, and including the first track, where they are mind blowing, uh, and the kind of like the rhythms that they keep and the the time he's keeping, he's clearly skilled. But uh, I think the the sax nudges him out just a smidge. The, the this last track, it really seals him as as the star of the album and that's not taking anything away from any of the other performances but it's just it's so it's so good mm-hmm. um what did you think of the vocals on this track uh i like his vocals on every track uh, they are very spoken but i like that i enjoy the way that it's he delivers it as long as you can deliver an emotional performance or incite emotion in me, I'm down. I'm into the vocals. Uh, I know that it's not exactly a sing-songy, and it's got this kind of like really dramatic or melodramatic kind of vibrato when he does bring it out. Like it's shaking, or he's like shivering while he's like singing. But I feel like it brings out the manic nature and the kind of like unhingedness to the sound of the music comes out as well in his vocals. And so I was a big fan of the vocals. Yeah, the vocals probably, and they're they're not bad, but I would say maybe the weakest element of the band. And Athens, France, I didn't really like the vocals on that on that track, and it bummed me out a little bit because I thought, oh man, the album got off to such a great start, but if the vocals are gonna s- sort of stay like this, I don't I don't know. Uh, the music's compelling, but the vocal performance is going to be disappointing. However, on Opus, it was my favorite vocal performance on on the tr- on the record, and I think it's because during the noisy section on the second half of the song, he really lets his voice go, where on other tracks, he didn't. Right, so- kind of like the climax almost of the album, the way that he kind of releases himself in that. I like that six minute range on the last track. Yeah, like he 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 never his voice never really gets super loud, but this but this section of the song, and maybe appropriately so, like you just said, it emphasizes the conclusion of the album. But he never lets itself he never really lets itself get loud. He has this trembling texture to his voice that we mentioned before, but where he has such a narrow range. I I wanted I wanted something more out of out of his vocal performance that I just wasn't getting, but I get I get it here on the, on this track. Okay. And so yeah, going forward on other records, I'd like to see I'd like to see some some louder vocals or something something just uh, some more compelling vocals. Some more pep in the vocals, maybe. Yeah, just just some sort of energy. I I, I sort of found the the vocals were almost. They were almost a little bit, a little bit sleepy. Um, yeah, I I kind of like how they sound though, like the kind of uh, the kind of mood they give off, and, and that's kind of the way I, I approach it, because uh, it kind of sounds like sometimes just this like this monologue or diatribe of this person like on the hinge of like crashing over into that emotional state, and then finally does on this 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 final track where he. Well, does explode and like his voice comes out and, and I think it adds more emphasis to that moment. And it's not that I don't think he does. I think he he does good jobs portraying like these manic and, and crazed moments during like climax of songs building up to this too. But he doesn't go to that next level until the end there. But I kind of think it all fits into like the build of the album. And I kind of I like it. I like the the mood, mostly what he he portrays here. Yeah, his voice certainly fits the mood, especially of those 
mm, yeah, angular tracks where there's a, a lot more room. Uh, his, his voice definitely hit, hits the mood. It's just I I just want a little. I want him to stretch stretch it out a little bit more. Sure, sure. Um, so you you listened to this album, I think, uh, before I put it forward to you. Is that right? No, I encountered this album listening to BBC Six earlier this month. They played it on the yeah new releases of the week channel and. I think maybe I had mentioned it to you, or I'm not sure, but I had heard, I think it was Athens, France. Okay, that would make sense. Uh, I was just wondering, because I figured, I was like, how how much did you think I would like this album? Because this, this, everything on this album is really in my pocket of, of bands I like and sounds I like. Yeah, that's why I mentioned it to you, I think. Right, right. I think there's a bit of bias because this is this is strictly my kind of music, uh, the the kind of like stuff I would really like associate with like my favorite kind of music. So a little bias, I think, but I really enjoyed this album. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I, I was really excited to talk about it, and even though, yeah, it's a post-punk noise rock math rock album it made i was going back and listening to jazz standards earlier in the week because of the jazz influence on on this record just got me excited about jazz again um yeah so what would you uh first first let's go what is your toe in song i think this is a weird album to have a toe in song because it's such a cohesive piece um so i think if you were to grab a track to emphasize the entirety of the album uh where would you go Ooh, hmm you know i don't know how representative instrumental is of the entire record but Mm -hmm. it is a super fun song to listen to and it's five minutes and 27 seconds which is the second shortest track on the album so accessible lengthwise if not i would say probably science fair uh, I would, yeah, I would. Eat, I'd probably agree with Science Fair. It'd either be Science Fair or Sunglasses. Yeah. At, none, none of these tracks are misses. I think they're all hits. I honestly think you could probably spin a roulette, land on one, and, and probably do a good job because there are there's enough variety and diversity here uh, through even just on a song that to encapsulate the entire album in one track a little harder to do. Um, but I think Science Fair is probably a good toe-in song. What would you rate this song, uh, album overall? The album's definitely a nine. Yeah, if, I agree. If I like the vocals better, I'd say ten. Um, I was a little peeved uh, on Athens, France, and the rewrite, and like, I thought the performance was a little less uh, edgy, and I thought the ending kind of preferred the drums. Uh, so I was a little annoyed there. Um, again, some of the lyrics could probably be a little better, uh, but uh, I generally really, really enjoyed this. Uh, I, I'm only kind of like really looking for complaints. Um, yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about the vocals, it's it's that's sort of nitpicking. Like yeah. the is so solid, and these tracks are long. Yeah, sure, but actually, none of them feel that long. Because the band consistently has new ideas. They introduce them in interesting ways. It gets noisy. It gets quiet. What's not yeah. to like? It's easy. It's easy to be listening to a build to us in a song, and, and look and realize you're four minutes in and not even realize it. It's it's super compelling. It's like a a, a fine film that's just gripping you with confusing and interesting and vibrant images. Uh, and keeping you hooked all along the way. And I think you can, like, I would love to see this band live. You can really tell with the way the songs are, they were a band who cultivated their sound, playing live shows and doing improvisation and so on. Yeah, um, so I think this might be one of the the highest scored cumulatively between me and you uh, we've ever given an album. I would say so far this is the album of the year. 
Yeah, this is. A, I was thinking actually sometimes I like to compare where would I have placed this album on my previous year's album of the year, and I actually had that thought with this, and it's easily in the top five. Yeah. So, uh, early contender, early contender. It's so you. Un- it's so unique that I. D- I don't know. I. I don't expect to hear anything that's going to rival the uniqueness of their sound. Well, like it was- we got Shushu coming up. Uh, what? We got Shushu coming up. Shushu, that that is true, and uh, I'll du- uh, duets on that album. Never. Never question the uniqueness that can be had when Shushu has got an album dropping. That that's true. That's sh- true. I find Shushu can sometimes be a little bit esoteric, like they're a little bit they're a little bit niche sometimes. But their last yeah. record is actually probably my favorite record of theirs. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably. Uh, so again, I think we're gonna have an extra episode coming up. Uh, not sure exactly the release date. We're gonna. So I've been a few albums that we haven't had a chance to talk about in long form. Uh, go over them a little bit of a omnibus style and talk about them. I think Zach's got a few albums he wants to talk about and a few albums I've been uh, wanting to talk about, but couldn't quite find the time for full reviews of them. So we're going to have a little extra episode to cover a little bit of the uh, albums that we want you to listen to and, and don't, uh, don't let pass you by uh, as the year passes. Or ones that, yeah, maybe have caught your attention or you didn't realize release and put you on notice, whether or not they're worth your time. <laughs> whether they're worth your time or you just need to pass them, you know, given the the heave or the skip until the next album, you know. We'll see, uh, we'll see uh, how it goes. I'm not sure exactly what albums you want to cover yet, so it'll be interesting to hear uh, your pitch for some of these songs uh, or some of these albums that you may come, come to me well, with. I'm definitely going to check out the new Nick Cave Warren Ellis record that released just today. I'm going to... It'll be a surprise. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be a surprise. Uh, But I I think it'll be a fun little uh, aside from our regular episodes. Yeah, there's something short, short, snappy, quick, sweet. (laughs) Nothing will be as snort as you, my friend. Anyways, yeah. So... Black Country New Road. What a debut record. Absolutely. Go uh go listen to it. Go pick it up. Get it on vinyl. Yeah, definitely a record worth getting on vinyl. Well, I guess we'll, we'll see you guys next uh on this next episode. Don't like I said, not sure when uh when it's gonna drop, but uh keep an eye out for it. Yeah, keep an eye out and uh see you then. <laughs>